I'm so glad you all are here with us this morning. As you heard, we're continuing on in the series, The Heat. And last week, Pastor Tom introduced us to this series and talking about the idea of those seasons that get hot, right? The burning seasons in our lives. Those times when circumstances around us become difficult. And he talked about how God actually uses those circumstances to shape us to look more like him. And this morning, we're going to continue on uh, talking about this theme of how God wants to shape and form us in the heat. Because the truth is, all of us know that heat is a powerful force, right? Every single one of us in the room has been burned at some point or another, right? We've been burned by a fire, burned by an oven, burned by a hot pocket. I know, I hate those things. If y'all know how to get them not to be lava, tell me. Um, but yeah, we've been burned at some point or another, but we don't not only acknowledge the presence and the power of heat because of the way it's burned us, but we've seen the way that heat shapes and forms the things around us, right? We've see how, seen how heat can actually impact our environment. And so this morning, just for fun, I thought it would be good for us to take a little inventory to see what we know about some important heat trivia. Some things, what, what, what do we already know about the heat going into this? And so we'll start off with an easy question, a question that hopefully y'all learned in science class, um, and it is, what is the boiling temperature of water? And for those of you that are detail-oriented, these are in degrees Fahrenheit, every single answer here. And so the temperature at which water boils, is it 212, 217, 100, or 168? Get the answer in your mind. All right, the answer is 212 degrees. Yes, 212 degrees is the temperature at which water boils. Uh, next question, what is the highest recorded temperature in the state of South Carolina? Record high in the state of South Carolina. Is it 105, 119, 113, 126? Get your answer. All right, it is 113 degrees. And yes, that was recorded in Columbia, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Next question, what is the hottest body temperature that someone has experienced and survived? So someone's body temperature was elevated to this level. Was it 101.5 degrees, 115.7, 106, or 136.3? Get the answer in your mind. And the answer is 115.7. I know it's madness. I don't really want to know the medical details of what happened to them afterwards. Um, So if you find out, don't tell me. Uh, The next question is our last one, and this is what is the melting point of iron? The melting point of iron, and again, these are in degrees Fahrenheit. So 2100, 1500, 3300, or 2800 degrees Fahrenheit. The answer, 2800 degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature at which iron melts. That's amazing. Did you know that molten lava is 3,150 degrees? So when you're working with iron that has melted, you're practically working with molten lava. Pretty impressive. Any blacksmiths we have in the room, that's, that's incredible. Now, the thing that's interesting about melting point is that at melting point, something as solid as iron can become liquid, right? The properties of the substance change when it reaches melting point. And you science people in the room know that there's actually two forces that impact the melting point of a substance. Heat and pressure. Heat and pressure both play a role in whether or not something reaches melting point. And the truth is, in our own lives, we sometimes can reach a melting point, right? Because of the heat of our circumstances and the pressure of everything around us, our lives get to a point where we feel like we're going to melt. 
In fact, we even have the phrase, having a meltdown. So there are times when our life definitely heats up, and we find that we are walking through the heat. And the thing is, with things like glass and iron, when they get to their melting point, whoever's working with them has the opportunity to shape those and form those into whatever they want. But unlike glass or iron, we're not passive in this process. When we reach the melting point, we actually have a choice. And when we get into the heat, we can choose to allow God to make us better through it, or we can become bitter towards God, toward others, toward life in general. See, in the heat, that's where we have the choice of allowing God to make us better or becoming bitter. And the truth is, every single one of us in the room sets out to become better through it, right? None of us makes it our goal to become bitter old crusty people, right? We all want to become better. It's human nature. We lean towards progress. We want to grow. And so what we're exploring this morning is how can we walk through the heat and know that we're going to come out better on the other side and not just bitter. Now we see tons of examples of people who do this in scripture. As we read through the Bible, we see a bunch of people that walk through the heat and they come out better on the other side. One great example of, it, of this is a story of a guy named Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet. And prophets were people that were chosen by God to represent him and to bring his truth and direction to the people. And the story it deals with Elijah walking through the heat and also this widow, this unnamed widow that he encounters. Now, it's in 1 Kings chapter 17 is where you'll find this, but we need a little bit of background. See, what's actually happening in the country at the time is that the nation of Israel had been divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had been ruled by one wicked ruler after another. There'd been like a whole list of people who decided that they no longer worshipped the God of Elijah. They no longer worshipped Yahweh. They worshipped the gods of the people around them. And so with that worship came all kinds of wicked practices. And, And Ahab is currently the king in the northern kingdom when Elijah comes on the scene. And Ahab is described as the most wicked king yet. Now, I don't know what it takes to win the wicked king contest, but I don't think I want to know. Ahab has made this list. Now, not only is Ahab wicked, but he's married to a wicked lady named Jezebel. And I don't have to say a whole lot about Jezebel for us in the room to know she's a bad lady, right? We don't name our little girls Jezebel. We don't want to have the nickname as ladies, Jezebel, right? Jezebel was not a good lady. And anytime you get a crazy person married to another crazy person, it's double crazy, right? This is not a good thing. And so in this kingdom, these two people in power are nuts. And that's when Elijah comes onto the scene. He doesn't just come onto the scene. He, like, busts onto the scene. He comes into the king's presence unannounced, which should strike us. Because even today, we know that if we want to talk to an important person, we make an appointment, right? You don't just, like, bust into your doctor's office. You couldn't just bust into the president's office or to see, like, some important person. You have to make an appointment. You have to follow protocol. Well, Elijah ignores all that, and he just shows up in Ahab's presence, crazy King Ahab's presence. And what he says when he gets there, he says, okay, King Ahab, I have an announcement to make. There's going to be a drought, and it is not going to rain in your entire nation until I say so. So not only has he insulted the king by just showing up and ignoring protocol, but now he's insulted the king by announcing the drought. Well, he also has a third strike against him because King Ahab, he worships a god of rain and a god of fertility. And Elijah shows up and says, hey, there's going to be a drought. 
So as soon as the words come out of his mouth, Elijah's life has heated up. Right? He has put himself in danger simply by bringing this announcement to the king. And God knows that. So he's like, hey, Elijah, thanks for bringing my message. Now you better get out of there and go and hide. So Elijah, he drops this bomb of bad news. And he's like, all right, peace out. I'm going to the wilderness. I'm going to go camping. And he disappears, goes off the grid. No one knows where Elijah is. But he settles down by this stream. And he stays there. He camps out. And day after day, it says that God provides him with meat and bread every morning and every night. Elijah has everything he needs while he's hiding there. Until one day, the stream dries up. Right? It's a drought. So now, not only is he hiding for his life, but he's out of water. And his circumstances have gone from bad to worse. And Elijah finds himself in this place where he really needs a word from God. Right? He's stuck. He's already hiding from the king, out of water. And the word that comes to him is something that he wouldn't have wanted to hear. It's a word that none of us would have enjoyed. See, when the water runs out, what God says to him he says, you should go to the town of Zarephath and find the widow and ask her to take care of you. Now, to us, that doesn't sound that crazy because we don't think a lot about widows or have any idea what the town of Zarephath is. But the thing is, a widow in that day wouldn't have had much money. She would not be your first choice of someone to turn to if you found yourself in trouble. This would be like saying, I'm out of money, so why don't you go find the guy that's panhandling down the street and ask him if you could borrow a few bucks. Or you need a place to stay, saying, hey, why don't you find the single mom in town that has five kids and is working three jobs and see if she can have, give you a spare room. This is not cool. Yet that's what, that's what God asks Elijah to do. Not only does he ask, ask Elijah to go to an unlikely person, but he asks Elijah to go to an unlikely place. See, the town of Zarephath is actually the hometown of crazy queen Jezebel. Her hometown And guess what? In that town, they also worship the God of rain and the God of fertility. So do you think they want the guy that just announced the drought coming and living amongst them? No way. God has just called Elijah to go to an unlikely person in an unlikely place. And to Elijah's credit, when he finds himself in the heat of this circumstance, he obeys God. He does just what God tells him to do, even though it doesn't make any sense and seems crazy. And the truth is, that's where some of us are in the room today. We're in the middle of the heat. Our circumstances have gone from bad to worse, and we need a word from God. And you know what? Some of us have gotten it. Some of us know what we need to do to get out of that circumstance. Maybe God has said, quit the job, have the conversation, tell your boss, pay the bill, make the move. He's told us. But we don't want to follow Because for one reason or another, it sounds crazy, irrational, or for some other reason, scary. And we don't want to do what he's asking us to do. And in order for us to walk through the heat and come out better on the other side, it's going to take this massive step of trust and faith and following God when it doesn't make any sense. Now, I found myself in a position like this just a few weeks ago. I heard about a change that needed to happen, and everything in me got defensive and wanted to clam up and close up, right? I wanted to defend. I wanted to cling. I wanted to hang on to what I know rather than step into what is unknown. You know what happened? When I took my questions and my confusion, and I got alone with God, and I started to talk to him, you know what I heard? Yield to him. What he said was obey. Don't be afraid. Just obey. 
And to Elijah's credit, when he finds himself in the heat, he obeys God. Right? He does exactly what God asks him to do, even though it didn't make sense. Now, he heads down to Zarephath, just like he's told, and he finds the widow. And when we meet her, she's pretty much what we would expect. We find out that she is poor. She has a son. She also does not worship the God of Elijah, Yahweh. She worships the gods like the people around her do. And when Elijah comes to her, she says, you know what? I have nothing. All I have is this one, like, serving of food. And I was going to go make a fire and cook it and feed it for me and my son. And then we were going to go ahead and starve to death. See, this woman is living in the heat. She can't provide for her family. They're living on the brink of starvation when Elijah shows up and asks for her help. Now, I think it's interesting that uh, when we look at her, she's in this situation that is so desperate, so, so, so desperate when Elijah shows up. Because this is a time when Jesus didn't show up to people pre-Jesus, right? This is also at a time when the Holy Spirit wasn't quite the same as it is is today. And so what they had as a representation of God were prophets and priests, people who represented God to the people. And so Elijah, who represents God, shows up when the woman is in the middle of her desperation. I think this is important because as we look at our own lives, a lot of times we find ourselves in the middle of desperation asking, where was God when? Where was God when everything got hard? And in this story, we get a very direct answer. He's right there. In the midst of her desperation, in the midst of her pain, God is present with her. Now, we don't know why, but this woman decides to go ahead and do what Elijah asks her to do. See, Elijah says, I know you only have a little bit of food, but why don't you make some for me first? And then make it for your family, for your son and yourself. And your jar of flour won't run out. Your jug of oil won't run dry. And it sounds nuts, but she does it. She does it. I don't don't know if she's desperate. I'm not sure why she follows him. But another interesting thing here is that this woman, when Elijah showed up, the problem that she had was food, right? The first thing that she was scared about was that they were going to starve. We don't have enough to live on. And the thing that Elijah asks for is her food. The one thing that she has that can provide her with some earthly sense of security. That's what Elijah asks for. He asks for the small thing that she has in her hand. Why does he do that? I I don't think Elijah is just being a greedy jerk. Right? He's following God. God has talked to him and told him what to do. No, I I don't think God needs her food either. We just saw God provide for Elijah in the wilderness out of nothing. He doesn't need her flour and her oil to make bread. So why does Elijah and why does God go after this woman's food? I think God goes after this woman's food because he's after, after this woman's heart. Right? And so often when we're in the midst of the heat, God asks us to surrender what we have in our hands because ultimately he's after our hearts. And he does that for this widow. And the thing is, I, I, I don't think God was, like, trying to tease her or be mean. I think God really wanted her to know that she didn't have to be afraid anymore. She didn't have to hang on to the only piece of control she had, that she could trust him. 
that she could trust God. And things go great for the widow for a while. She follows what Elijah says. She does the whole deal of feeding him first and then feeding her family. And they have food every single day. And the jar, it doesn't run out. The flour doesn't run out. The oil doesn't run out. They have what they need every single day for a while. Until all of a sudden, one day she comes home and her son has gotten sick and died. And it's crazy because God has just saved her son from starvation, but now he's dying from sickness. And the woman, she didn't do anything wrong. She did everything that was asked of her. She has been faithful. She has been just doing exactly what she's supposed to do, and then all of a sudden her son is gone. And so like most of us would, the woman questions God, and she questions Elijah. And here's what she says to Elijah. She says, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Why would you do this? Why would you let this happen? Man, life is like that for us, isn't it? Everything is good. We are happy. We trust God. He is good until something crazy happens that we didn't expect. Something happens that we never bargained for. We start to experience a pain or a suffering that we never thought we would have to walk through. We lose someone we love. And when we get to that place, that natural thing for us to do is to start to question God. We start to wonder. We're not sure that we trust the God that we said we believed in, and we wonder if his intentions for us are good. God, are you punishing me? What is going on? Why would you allow this to happen? For me, this happens even in simple moments. Simple things like, hey, you didn't get the job. That can cause the questions to rise up. Simple fights with people I love can cause the questions to rise up. But it also comes in those really big moments. You know, the ones where you get the phone call that you wish you never got? The one that gets seared into your memory forever? I'm sorry, she's gone. The cancer's back. Hey, those test results, they they weren't good. They're gone. Anyone else in here ever pray for healing and receive silence? Maybe you've prayed for a marriage to be restored and you've watched it crumble and fall apart. Man, we've been there. We've gotten to a place where we've prayed and haven't heard the answer that we wanted. And naturally what happens is we begin to question God. And right there, that's, that's the moment. That's the moment where our choices can begin to form us and shape us and allow God to make us into something better or we can become closed off and bitter. And we have an incredible example of a woman who's walked through uh, pain like this in the story of Paige Rouse. Paige Rouse is a young lady who attends Alive, and she has graciously shared her story with us of what it was like for her and her family walking with her mom through the journey of cancer and then ultimately through the end of her mother's life. And I want us to take a look at a quick clip from Paige's story this morning. And in it, as we're watching it, I want you just to think about what does Paige do with the questions? How does God show up in Paige's story when things are painful, when she's in the midst of pain? So let's watch this together. Bad things happen because we do live in a fallen world and um, everything's not perfect. And so, of course, cancer and illness and hurt and pain exist. Um, But I genuinely believe that God allows bad things to happen to good people because God loves us so much. And sometimes he wants us to be so close to him 
that he allows bad things to happen so that we have nowhere else to look but up to him and nowhere else to grasp on to that other than his hand and it did stink that my mom passed so it, it was terrible um but my faith would not be the same if i had not lost my mom um a couple of people would tell me, um, God would never give you more than you could handle. And what I would say to that is, heck no. Like, he give, gave me way more than I can handle. Um, but he promises you and I that he will always be with us. And that's a big thing that I learned from my mom, um, even before she passed away. And I'm so glad she instilled that in my heart and my mind, um, because that's really carried me through her illness and her, her passing. I can say to this day that I have grown closer and more deeply in love with God um, because of those that experience. Um, and I can say also that my intimacy with God has never been the same. Um, and so if, it, if I would have chosen, uh, I would not have wanted to lose my mom. But because that's that was what God willed in his whole grand scheme, I have to trust that. I have to trust that my will for my life is this big and God's will for my life is eternally more vast than I could ever imagine. Yeah, super grateful for Paige. Do you guys hear it in her story? You hear how God showed up for her? You hear what she did even in the midst of having questions? How she was able to cling to God? And, and what she says in there is, God made me better. I didn't come out bitter on the other side. I came out better because of what God did. I love that she doesn't call the bad things in her life good. I also love that she has that little quote in there of, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Like, heck no. He gave me more than I can handle. I, I love that because that resonates with me. I've been to places where I've said, God, I can't handle that. That's more than I can handle. And, and that's okay. I love that it's okay for her to have questions. And it's okay for us to have questions. I think sometimes in the church we get this like crazy idea that if we have a question for God that there's something wrong with us. Our faith isn't big enough. And that's just not true. If you look at scripture, almost every person in, Christi- in scripture at one point or another questions God. There's nothing wrong. Pastor Tom mentioned this last week. There's nothing wrong, nothing sinful in the questioning. But it's how we allow God to help us resolve and how we allow him to show up and walk with us through those questions. I love when we look at the story of Elijah and the widow. It's not just the widow who didn't know God, who has questions for God. It's also Elijah. Elijah, the man of God, the man who had been chosen to be God's mouthpiece, has questions for God. When he sees that this widow's son has died, Elijah goes to God with his questions And here's what he says. It says, Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Oh, God, did you do this? What are you thinking? I wonder if Elijah was like, Are you kidding me, God? You called me to go to this poor widow And I didn't think anything bad would happen to her. I thought you were going to help her. I thought her story was going to get better because I walked into her life, not worse. What are you doing? Why did you save her son from starvation only to let him die from sickness? What are 
And I love that in the middle of Elijah's questioning, you see him do something. You see him call on the character of God. You see what he says at the very beginning? He says, oh, Lord, my God. Oh, Lord, my God. That word, oh, Lord, it actually means the existing one. My God means the one who is supreme. So even in the middle of framing his question, Elijah says, God, you exist. God, you are above all. I don't understand what's happening, but God, you exist. God, you are above all. And he chooses to cling to the character of God even when things don't make sense. For some of us in the room, that's our takeaway today. Clinging to God in the middle of a circumstance when it doesn't make sense. Knowing that God's character is not threatened by our circumstances. God, I don't understand what's happening, but you exist and you are above all. Now, Elijah, he's not the only one who clings to the character of God when he gets confused and when he is frustrated. We actually see Jesus himself do this. See, Jesus, he gets to the end of his life. And he knows that the cross is coming. He knows that there's going to be incredible pain, that he is about to suffer more than anyone has before. And he gets alone with God, and he prays. And and listen to how Jesus prays. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you see it? Abba, Father, man, you're my good dad. Everything is possible for you. You're my good dad, and everything is possible for you. God, you are in charge. I don't like what's about to happen. I don't like what is happening. But you are good, and you are in charge. For some of us, us, that's what has carried us through the things that we've walked through in our past. And for some of us, that's the thing that's going to carry us through the circumstance that we're facing right now, we're going to face tomorrow. This ability to cling to the character of God. When life doesn't make any sense. Now the widow in our story, she actually gets a a happy ending. Because what happens after Elijah prays to God, he actually goes back to the boy and he prays over him three times. And the little boy is brought back to life. He is resurrected. But the thing that's interesting is the focus of the story is not on the miracle of the resurrection of the boy, but on the movement of God in the life of the widow and in the life of Elijah. The focus is not on the miracle of the boy's resurrection, but on the movement of God. I think this is important for us because we don't all get happy endings. We pray, and sometimes God does not give us the answer that we want. Sometimes we don't get healing. But respectfully, the point of the tragedy that comes in our lives isn't so much for us to see them resolved as it is for us to develop resolve. Now, even as I say that, I hope you understand this tension in my heart. Because I look across this room, and I know just enough of your stories that I know I can't say that flippantly. I know there are people sitting here today that have experienced immense suffering people who've walked through long-term illness, long-term battles with physical, emotional challenges, people that have battled chemical addictions. I know there's people in the room that have experienced losses that I can't even dream of experiencing in my entire life. There are some of you that are fighting for marriages that are hanging on by a thread. Some of you trying to recover from abuse in ways that none of us could even dream of. 
And my fear, as I say something like this, is that what you'll hear is that your pain doesn't matter. Your pain is somehow small or it's good. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that crappy circumstance in your life is good. I'm not saying that it's easy. Point. What we're talking about today is that what if our pain didn't have to be meaningless? What if all the garbage that we're going through in our lives didn't have to be pointless? What if it was possible for God to show up and redeem even the ugliest, most frustrating, most hurtful, painful parts of our lives? See, we see this in the story of Elijah, and we see this in the story of Jesus, that it's possible to cling to the character of God when life doesn't make sense and come out better on the other side. The pain, it doesn't have to be wasted. There's an author named John Eldridge, and he writes this book called Walking with God, and in it, he speaks to this idea, and I love the, I love the way he speaks to it. He says, God has something in mind. He is deeply and personally committed to restoring humanity, restoring you. There was a man or a woman that he had in mind when he made you. By bringing you back to himself through the work of Jesus Christ, he has established relationship with you. And now, what he is up to is restoring you. The way that happens is to shape your life along the same lines as his son. Along the same lines as the son who suffered, right? The son who walked through incredible pain. To shape you into the image of Jesus, you can be confident of this. It's a given. Whatever else might be going on in your life, God always has his eye on your transformation. Whatever else might be going on in your life, God always has his eye on your transformation. God's big, grand plan is, always was, and always will be wholeness. Even when all we see is brokenness, even when all we feel is pain, God's plan for us is wholeness. For every single person in this room, God wants us to be whole, to experience that kind of wholeness. Now we see God work through the pain of this widow's story to bring her to a place of wholeness. See, her reaction after her little boy dies and is brought back to life is this. She says, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now I know that you're a man of God. Isn't that amazing? This woman had seen miracle after miracle. Day after day, she had seen God show up in very simple, tangible ways. She had eaten miracles. Yet her heart wasn't soft enough to receive the truth that God wanted to give her until she was walking through the heat. When she got there, she got to a place where this woman who all she'd ever known was all these other gods could say, no, that, this is the true God. I know that you are the one that worships the true God. And this would be a great story if it ended there, right? This woman, she is in a terrible situation. She's starving. God shows up, saves her and her son. Son dies. She bring, God brings the son back to life. And now she and her whole family acknowledge God. Great story. Great story if it ends there. But you know what? It doesn't. See, Elijah's ministry continues past the point of his encounter with the widow. And he goes on to do even more incredible things. See, he goes back to King Ahab. And he says, hey, I would like to have a contest. 
me and my God against your prophets and all your gods. Me against the 450 prophets of Baal. Let's have a showdown. And the the rules of the contest are simple. We're both going to pray, and the God who can bring fire down from heaven first wins. So Elijah gives the other team all the advantages. He says, okay, you 450, you go first. And so they pray, and they wail, and they dance. They even get to the point where they're starting to cut themselves, trying to get the attention of their gods. It says no one heard. No one heard. No one shows up. And Elijah walks onto the scene. And he prays this simple prayer. God, show these people who you are. Show these people who you are. And he does. And whatever the sound is, a fire coming down from heaven. That's what they heard. And the whole thing lit up. And there was no denying who the true God was in that room. Everyone around recognized that there was only one God. And all of these people who had worshipped other gods all their lives, here's what they say. It says, when all of them saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Can you imagine over 450 prophets and the crowd that had gathered around them saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It's an incredible moment where an entire nation knows the truth. Now, the thing that's awesome about this is I have to wonder if the private thing that happened in that widow's home played a role in what happened in this very, very public scene. Because I have to wonder if this widow was Elijah's practice round. <laughs> see, Elijah had to go to, the, to this one widow and see that God was capable of reigning and ruling in the life of one before God entrusted him to go before the prophets, before 450 people, to prove that God can reign and rule in the life of so many. See, the woman and Elijah's decisions to cling to God, to obey God, to surrender what they had, to believe God in the midst of the heat and allow him to make them better had implications that were far bigger than just those two lives. Right? We don't know what all God was doing, but I know that over 2,000 years later, we are still talking about that woman. Isn't it possible that the stuff that's going on in our lives can have implications that go far beyond our lifetimes? What if the heat that we are walking through right now has implications that can impact way more than we ever dreamed or imagined? See, God is always redeeming, even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it doesn't feel like it. God is at work in our lives, bringing redemption And he has a story that he's written for us that doesn't just include us growing and knowing him more, but includes other people acknowledging who he is because of the story that he's written in our lives. God wants to use our lives in ways far bigger than what we ever imagined. So as we walk through the heat, what would it look like if we actually trusted him, trusted that he is making us better, and he wants to do something so, so incredible in and through you. Would y'all pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you 
are good. God, I pray specifically for the people in the room that are in the midst of the heat just now, walking through circumstances that are so, so incredibly big. God, we want to be a people that cling to your character, and so I ask that right now you would highlight the pieces of your character that we can hang on to even when life doesn't make sense. God, you are good. God, you exist. You are supreme. You are powerful. You are our redeemer. You are faithful. God, you are close. You comfort. You counsel. Holy Spirit, would you settle in on us this morning? Solidify the truth that you want to speak to our hearts. Solidify it in our hearts and minds and help us know what it looks like to walk forward from here as people who allow your redemption to be happening in our lives. God, we want to trust you even when life doesn't make sense. So we give ourselves back to you again this morning saying you are good. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.